it was around this time that I really started turning to books. I had met this brother in prison named Buddy. Me and him end up getting real tight, click clacking. He initially piqued my interest while we were in general prison population together. I had caught him coming from the general library with a few books in his hand. Somewhat amused, I asked him what he was doing with those books. He said he was educating himself. That's when I learned that he was illiterate before he caught his case. While he was in the county jail, he taught himself how to read and write. Once he got to Wabash Valley Correctional Facility, he continued his self-education by reading books in the general library. I was impressed by him teaching himself how to read and write, but I didn't understand why he felt the need to read books about black history and black consciousness. To me, I viewed that as becoming institutionalized. The way I viewed life at this juncture was that nobody could tell me anything in a book if they hadn't walked in in my shoes, literally. All that black consciousness, black power shit, I viewed as being subjects I had no interest in learning about. I didn't want to learn about our history because what I figured at this time was that we really didn't have any substantial history. I always viewed our history as starting and stopping with slavery. At least that's what they implied in all the schools that I had attended growing up. This unusual conversation with Buddy ended up with him giving me a fictional book by Donald Goins. I think the book was titled Black Gangster. Initially, he tried to give me a black consciousness book, but I outright rejected that. I told him, bruh, I'm not with none of that black pirate nation of Islam shit, period. I wasn't trying to go to prison and leave drastically different than I had came. I wasn't going to convert to Islam, changing my name or wearing afros when I got out. I thought all that shit was for the birds. The only thing I was trying to do was survive prison and make it back to the streets one day. That's all. After I read that Donald Goins book, I developed a thirst for hood books. When I brought that first book back to Buddy and asked for another one, he offered me another black consciousness book to read again. And like the first time he offered one of those genres of books, I told him that I was good and that wasn't my cup of tea today, tomorrow, or in the next century. Instead of being too forceful, he relented and gave me another hood book. This time he gave me Pimp by Iceberg Slim. After I read that book, I realized that pimping wasn't cool at all. In fact, Iceberg Slim made me look at pimping as one of the worst forms of modern-day slavery. Today, I still feel the same. Nevertheless, when I returned that book back to him and he offered me another black consciousness book, I relented this time. He told me since I liked all the other books he had given me, why not give his black consciousness book he was offering a chance to? I only took it because he said he wouldn't force any more on me if I didn't like the one he was giving me. I figured I would read this one book, then afterwards he would stop coming at me with all this black power nonsense. I looked at the cover of it, Visions for Black Men by Naeem Akbar. To my surprise, as I began to read it, I noticed that the author was actually on to something. The premise of the book had set out to highlight the difference between men and males. Up until this time of my life, I had dismissed the need to read books. I view education only as a passport to getting what society said I needed to get a good job and make a better life for myself. I didn't think anyone could understand my plight without living in my shoes, literally. Now, I was seeing that this brother who had never met me actually understood a lot about me from the words in his book. I saw a lot of myself in the illustrations of how he defined a male. For most of my life, I thought being a real nigga meant that you had to get your money up, be able to fight, fuck as many women as you could, and have the respect of the streets and your peers. 
He was showing me that was what males did. They simply lived out their life through the power of their testicles. Being a man or real nigga as defined by the streets placed an immature world outlook over a mature world outlook that gave preference to one's responsibilities, priorities, and accountability to the community above all else. It meant becoming a well-rounded individual that always strived to better themselves over keeping up with the Joneses. What really stood out to me as I read that book is that a lot of the guys in prison seemed to be males, not men. It didn't matter if they was 18 or 80. Some of them still had a male mentality and not a true mentality of a well-grounded man. After reading that book, it made me start to look at books and self-education differently. Carter G. Woodson once wrote in The Miseducation of the Negro, Philosophers had long conceded, however, that every man has two educators, that which is given to him and the other that which he gives himself. Of the two kinds, the latter is by far the more desirable. Indeed, all that is most worthy in man, he must work out and conquer for himself. It is that which constitutes our real and best nourishment. What we are merely taught seldom nourishes the mind like that which we teach ourselves. By the time I got to the shoe, the Supermax unit, I was eager to start my self-education. I wanted to understand why the world was so fucked up and unfair. It seemed like my life was being controlled by an unseen force. I just couldn't put a circle around what that force was. I didn't want to simply blame everything on the devil. I figured that he had a hand in it, but I felt there was a tangible, mundane reason as well. I didn't really know where to start, but a friend of mine who was on 1200 range with me helped me in this endeavor. He sent me this Vita YY2 book 11 journal that had three species in there by Fred Hampton. Before then, I didn't know anything about Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton Sr. I hadn't even heard his name before or knew really nothing about the original Black Panther Party. I had always assumed they were the black version of the Ku Klux Klan. At least that's what a preacher on TV once referred to them as being. When I read the speech he gave in 1969 titled Power Anywhere There's People, I immediately took a strong liking of Fred Hampton. The fact that he was 21 years old when the government had assassinated him, and I was 21 years old at the time myself, I could relate to him. Even though I was only reading his words, his words was having a powerful effect upon me. I had been a rebel without a cause for a long time. When I came across Fred Hampton, it felt as if my cause had introduced itself to me through his charisma. I never heard anyone speak like him, not even Malcolm X. At the end of his speech, he said, We, in the Black Panther Party, because of our dedication and understanding, went into the valley knowing that the people are in the valley, knowing that our plight is the same plight as the people in the valley, knowing that our enemies are on the mountain. To our friends in the valley, and even though it's nice to be on the mountaintop, we going back to the valley because we understand there's work to be done in the valley. And when you we get through with the work in the valley, then we got to go up to the mountaintop. We're going to the mountaintop because there's a motherfucker on the mountaintop that's been playing king. And he's been bullshitting us. We got to go up to the mountaintop, not for the purpose of living his lifestyle and living like he lives. We got to go up on the mountaintop to make this motherfucker understand, God damn it, that we coming from the valley. I was impressed. I wanted to learn more about this unknown leader no one told me about, as well as the original Black Panther Party he was a part of. I learned in that Vita YY2 journal about the free breakfast programs the original Black Panther Party had. I learned about the street organizations and how a number of them had worked with them. I also discovered that the FBI themselves had pitted other street organizations against the Panthers to disrupt the work they was doing in the community. 
I hadn't heard about any of those things in the schools I had attended growing up. I wondered what else they was hiding from me. I was determined from that day forth to study everything I could. I started realizing that there was a whole lot they did tell me about during my formative years in education, or should I say, miseducation in those schools.